Hello and welcome to Resourceful, stories from the site, proudly brought to you by Resources Unearthed. At Resources Unearthed, we help executives, professionals and business owners in mining and resources to be successful both personally and professionally. We've created this podcast to help you in your employment or business, and we'll be chatting to people who have a proven track record of success in the industry. Thanks for joining us. I'm James Marshall from Resources Unearthed, and welcome to today's episode of Resourceful. On the podcast today, we're sitting down with Paul Harvey, the Chief Operating Officer of South32. Paul is a highly motivated and skilled leader that has worked in both small and large-scale operations all over the world. When discussing his strategies on leadership and management, Paul emphasises the importance of care above all else, helping him to understand the impact of decisions on his employees. He takes the time and utmost care in supporting their needs, which helps establish trust, the basis for any high-performing operation. Hi, my name's Brad Cribb, Managing Director and Founder of Resources Unearthed, and welcome to Resourceful, Stories from the Site. Today, I'm joined by Paul Harvey. I've known and worked with Paul for over seven years now and found him to be a highly effective strategic thinker with a caring approach. Paul's the CEO of South32, Chief Operating Officer of South32, and he's worked in many operations around the world. He's well known as having a world-class and highly ethical operator, having had to make some very hard decisions along the way that show his no compromise approach to safety and values. His time in his CV includes time at BHP as asset president of Acardi Diamonds and Nickel West, and now at South32 as Chief Operating Officer. Paul has a wealth of experience in mining, particularly in operations and corporate management. I believe you as our listeners would be interested in exploring some of his most memorable stories from the site. So wherever you are, sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of Resourceful. Welcome, Paul, and thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Brett. It's my pleasure. Excellent. So perhaps, Paul, to begin with, could you tell us how and where you started in the mining and resources industry? Yeah, I guess I grew up in Western Australia. I grew up in the 70s at a time when um, lots happening in iron ore, lots happening in nickel, lots happening in gold, of course, bauxite. It was just present in sort of life in Western Australia in the 70s. And uh, when I finished school, I thought, well, what better thing to do than to join the industry? So I uh, joined uh, the WA School of Mines and started my studies up there. And then where did you start in the industry? Where did you work? Yeah, I was really lucky. I mean, when I graduated, most of us at the School of Mines were either going to WMC down in Cambella or we were going up to the iron ore mines in the Pilbara. But during my last year at uni, we had a professor from Vitz University in South Africa came to the School of Mines to help us get our course accredited as an engineering degree. And we became friends and he said if I wanted to work in South Africa after graduation, he might be able to help me. So uh, that was sort of my start. And I thought, well, that's a great opportunity to try and, and travel and work somewhere different. And South Africa always had this immense reputation, particularly for underground mining, it was the place to be. So that was a great opportunity for me. So that's how I started. I jumped on a plane as a 21 year old and headed across to South Africa to start my career. So that was, that was the first step. Yeah, it's an, it was an interesting place. It certainly, I spent three months there as an undergraduate as well, and, and uh, really interesting. So yeah. where, did you work on the gold briefs, or where, where did you work to start with? Yeah, so I actually arrived the day that the US government imposed sanctions on South Africa. So it was quite a dynamic time, 1985. And I worked for four years with a company called Rand Mines, who've now 
were subsequently broken up into various companies, including Durban Deep and, and Harmony Gold. So I was on the gold mines for four years, typical working through as a miner and a shift boss and a mine captain. And then I moved across to De Beers and had three years working at Finch, in, also underground, but in one of their diamond mines in the Northern Cape. So seven years all up in South Africa, which really for me was, that was the pivotal start to my career. It, it, it taught me a lot of things about how can you be successful in a completely alien environment, you know, adapting to a different culture, having to learn different languages at the same time that you're actually learning what your job is. So to me, that was the foundation that really, that really gave me a great start to my career. Yeah, I think it's Funakalor, wasn't it? Is that one? That's that's the one. Yeah, that's, that's the one. one. Yeah. A lot of Afrikaans too. Yeah, I was that's living, it. living down in the Free State, but uh, it was all good. And really interesting because I didn't even realise you'd worked for Rand Mines, which was who I worked for when I went to South Africa oh, as wow. well. Oh, cool. So there you go. Yeah. How did you progress to where you are now? And are there any particular skill sets that led to your career advancement over time? Um, so I guess certainly in my early years, I always, I, I loved underground. I was thinking about where can I go and where should I go next um, with an underground focus. But the one thing that's always been most important to me, and it was actually necessary in South Africa as a, as a, as a foreigner coming into the country, is the importance of connection and the, the importance of relationship. So I was in an environment completely out of my depth, you know, didn't know the language, completely different culture, had no experience at all other than what I'd done as a VAC student. So learned the value that doesn't matter what level you're at, doesn't matter what level of leadership you're at, you can only be successful with the support of the people around you. That's perhaps been a core principle for me right through my career that, you know, understand the people you work with, get to know them. We're, we're all people, we're all equal, we're all the same. We all go to work to earn a living and to do the best for our family and to try hard and, and to have fun. That connection, establishing that relationship, for me that's always been pivotal because from that comes trust. And once you've got trust, then you can build on that and anything can happen if you have trust as a starting point. Yeah, yeah, it's really interesting to uh, reflect on some of those things and that, you know, without having thought about it, that's probably what we all do or what significant amounts of us that run successful businesses do, build that relationship with people and work on trusting each other and then be able to allow people to evolve, um, I think is probably what you've been certainly very successful at and what I've seen. All right, thank you. How did your interest in leadership and management evolve through your career? It's an interesting one. I mean, people often ask, you know, sort of, did you have an ambition or did you have a goal? And of course I did. But um, I guess the first thing I would say is, is one thing I was very conscious of was actually planning my career. Those of you who work in mines or in process plants or oil and gas or whatever, wherever it is you work, you know, any business needs to have a plan to work towards. And it's the same with your personal life and your career. You know, you need to have a plan. So one thing I spent time doing was thinking about, well, what am I doing now? What would I like to do next? Where is that? So targeting two or three places where I thought I might get that and trying to put myself in a position where I had the opportunity to take those chances. That was sort of the path I followed, but perhaps another pivotal stage for me was um, being given an opportunity to go to Canada to have responsibility for developing the underground mines that BHP had in, in the Arctic in Diamonds. And given that opportunity by someone who saw something in me that I didn't see, I didn't think I was ready for it. Mm. But someone took a chance on me and gave me that responsibility and supported me. And, and ultimately, I think we had a great team and we, we achieved a lot of good things. So that was a really strong leadership lesson for me is that, you know, we all at some point have had someone take a chance on us that's enabled us to take a step up or to do something that we didn't think we could do. So now that's one thing I, I try and do. I make a point of doing is, you know, looking for talent in the business and giving them a chance. Because if we don't give someone a chance to take a step up, then maybe they never get that chance. So, so that was an example of leadership that I really admired and sort of, you know, inspires you to want to, to, want to be more, to, to be like that type of person. So. And interesting, you talk about planning a career and 
and where you work and what you do and your strengths and what evolved. And mm. we've talked before in this podcast about the hedgehog theory and working towards the things where you, what you like doing, what's, what you're good at and what drives your economic driver or your personal driver and trying to work in those areas. And clearly you must have worked it, that out that leadership and management was a real one of those strengths and one of those areas that you enjoy doing. Yeah. And the other bit was taking a chance. And we've heard in people like Ian Goodman, who you know, talk about you know having had that chance and provided to them and then taking the leap of faith to have a, have a crack at it. Mm. And do it. One of the experiences that's been pivotal for me was when I worked for De Beers, I joined Finch Mine. It was going from an open pit to an underground. So it was a major capital project to prepare the underground to take over from the open pit. And the guy who'd been selected to run it, he, he became a mentor of mine and he, he was such a great leader because he was, he was an electrical engineer in a mining environment. And all my experience up until then had been that you're a mining engineer, you do your time underground, whatever the case may be, you come up through supervisory ranks. That's how you become a leader. And he was a guy who, you know, a great guy, um, Rob Smart was his name, had done a bunch of things, but was leading a major underground construction project without having the background that I thought you needed to have. And it was just such a powerful message for me that if you've got the right leadership skills, because he was, he was calm, he was thoughtful, he never lost his temper, he paid attention to the details, he was really strong with people, and he got that job done without sort of having had done something like that before. And this is a billion rand plus project mm, in those days, massive, 25 yeah. years ago. And I thought, well, you know, that's leadership in action. You don't have to be the technical expert in everything. You've just got to take time to know people, support people, you know, be positive. And that's what he was. And he became a role model of mine again. And that's, they're some of the traits that I decided I wanted to develop uh, to be successful because I saw what he achieved by being that type of person. Yeah, and interesting. You talk about mentors. We've, we've had people like Ian talk about mentors, people like Richard talk about mentors and always being on the lookout as a young professional looking out for mentors and, and how they can assist you and those yeah. talents in leadership is yeah. really interesting. Yeah, if you're a young person, you'll, you'll know them when you see them. You'll know, because it's got to be a natural connection. You can't force a mentor and a mentee to have a relationship together. It's, it's got to happen naturally. So look out for them, you'll see them, you'll feel them, have the courage to contact with them and form a relationship and I'm sure you'll find Mentors love it. They've, they they feel proud that, that young people actually are interested in getting their advice and their input. So approach them, and you'll be surprised how positive the support will be. Yeah, that, and that's one hundred percent the case. They've all all of them that have talked to us on these podcasts have all said they love doing it, and yeah. a lot of people are just willing to give up their time for that sort of stuff. Could you tell us a little bit more about a difficult or interesting time <laughs> in your career, including? Any advice you'd like to pass on to your younger self? I'll probably talk about one particular phase, but uh, the, the first thing I'd say is be true to yourself. You know, I've found in a couple of situations, I've been in places or locations or situations where there's stress for whatever reason, stress because in South African case, didn't know the language, didn't know the mining methods, different country, and always found that if you're true to yourself, that's the foundation that's going to make a difference. If you're not being true to yourself, if you're trying to be someone else, if you're trying to be what someone else wants you to be, you'll always be less authentic than you are. And if you're not authentic, people will see right through it. So my, that, my single piece of advice would be, you know, be true to yourself, no matter what the situation. In terms of an interesting period in my career, a challenge, I have had the great opportunity to work in a couple of very challenged businesses and had to make significant change in those. And, you know, one particular business really struggling. You know, we had to halve the workforce in this business from four and a half thousand down to two and a half thousand, which is tough, you know, and every one of those people who leave a business in that situation, they're affected, their family's affected, their children are affected, they've got a mortgage, they've just 
you know, decide to send their kids to private school, they just bought a car, whatever it is, they're affected. And for me, there has to be a why. If, if you're going to do difficult things, if, or if you have to make tough choices that impact people, you've got to have a why. And people have got to understand your why. And for me, in that situation, it was around, it was an integrated business, fully integrated. It was very important to the, the state where it was operating. And even though it was tough, and even though people lost their jobs during that process, the business itself was so important to the state. You know, 2,500 employees yeah. with family members, it's 10,000 people with the flow on jobs and communities that live off those operations, it's perhaps another 10,000. Yeah. So you've got a business that maintains 25,000 people's livelihoods. And for me, that was the why, that it was more important to keep that going and to keep that business and, and that sort of that ecosystem going. That was the most important thing. And it's, it was dreadfully difficult to have 2,000 people lose their jobs as mm. part of that. But the bigger picture was, was more important to a bigger group of people. And when you have a why, you have to share that with people, with, with compassion and with authenticity. And, and it's amazing, you know, people understand. And if it's for the greater good, for one of a sort of a simple term, you can make hard decisions, you know. Uh, you know, we had a great workforce in that business and probably the best workforce I've ever been with. We had a great team, used to hardship, pitch in together, you know, all the things that leadership and management are talking about these days around, um, you know, collaboration and care and all those things. You know, we, we had that 10 years ago. It was inherent in that business. And one thing I firmly believe is that's natural in all of us. You know, you don't need management speak or leadership to tell you that you've got to care about each other or that you've got to have togetherness or that you've got to watch out for each other. That, that's humanity. That's who we are. The role of leadership is to recognise that and to help that come to fruition. And when, you, when that comes to fruition, from a business point of view, anything's possible. I've certainly found in my time in the mining and resources sector and seeing exposure to other sectors that I get these days is that it's a very strong culture in the in the sector and people are, you know, we do go through significant hard times in the, in the commodity sector, so it's quite up and down. Yeah. So people do go through those hard times and your message about... I do having a reason for doing things and being genuine and authentic. It's, mm. it's really interesting to see that through some of the really best businesses around the country and, and you do see that. So mm. if the young professionals can take that away in their leadership, that's, that's a fantastic message, Paul. Mm. Thanks. Thanks. We've probably explored some of these things, but do you have any key values and practices that work for you that you'd be willing to share with our audience? It comes down to connection. You know, I'm a firm believer that, you know, relationship is, is, is the fundamental of any sort of interaction, human interaction, whether that's work or whether that's personal. And in fact, you know, having spent a lot of time working in Africa, you can't actually, in many cases, you can't actually get to the work until you establish a relationship. That's the first and fundamental thing for people is, I want to see you, I want to know who you are, I want to make a connection with you before you start trying to tell me what to do or ask me a question or inquire about job. You know, look me in the eye and form a connection with me. And to me, that's the, that, that's the fundamental. You know, every person on the planet deserves to be treated with respect and, you know, that's that's the way to start. So for me, it's it's that connection, it's relationship, and that manifests itself through care. And one of the things we talk a lot about in our organisation now is care. And we have this conversation around, it's not just being soft or warm and fuzzy. It's not, it's not about that. That's part of it. But care is also about having the, the confidence to take tough decisions and, you know, holding people accountable for what they're required to do for their safety or for other people's safety. It carries a whole range of things, but it's about putting the individual, putting the person and putting the relationship first. So they're some of my core values. That's how I operate. You know, if I've had any sort of success or any, any positive outcomes with teams, to me, it's because that's the basis of them. 
is there any financial guidance you'd give to someone in your position <laughs> as a younger person, a younger professional? I thought I was here to talk about my mining career now. Yeah, you will be. For financial <laughs> yeah. advice. That's what you do, yeah. Brad. Yeah. <laughs> That's what you do for me. Yeah, you, you've got to plan for your future. You know, life, life comes along and when things get exciting, life happens at pace. So you've got to be thinking ahead. So uh, it's too easy to think when you're in your 20s or your 30s, life's great. Enjoy life, obviously. You know, build a family, do whatever you do. But you've got to be thinking of the future. So that means thinking about, well, if you have a family, if you have children, what's your plan for your children? How are you going to prepare for that? How are you going to manage after your retirement? So, you know, superannuation planning, retirement planning, you've got to think of those things sooner rather than later. I think if we leave it till our 40s or 50s to do that, often we've missed an opportunity. And so I think doing that sooner rather than later is important. And just like you couldn't rock up to work as a supervisor or a superintendent or a manager without having a budget and being held accountable to work to the budget, same principles apply at home, you know, have a plan, know what your incomings are, know what your outgoings are, plan the simple things in your life so that you have black numbers on your statement at the end of the month and not red numbers. So, <laughs> so again, it's just having a plan and it doesn't mean being over the top or constraining yourself. You have to live life and do the things you enjoy, but but have a, have a plan and, and stick to it. Yeah, I think it's, um, you were talking before about planning and, and this isn't about financial planning, but about... Um, planning your life and planning where you're going and planning your career. It's a consistent theme of good people. You spend a little bit of time on it. It doesn't mean to say you need to spend your life doing it, but spend a little bit of time thinking about it strategically and and live those values like you're talking about. So, yeah. You know, your history contains time at Accardi and also in the West and then more recently at, at uh, over in Nickel West and then now at, at South 32. Could you give listeners a little bit of a history about where you've been along your career and what interesting times you might have had along the way yeah okay sure so as we discussed right at the start seven years in south africa which were formative years for me i was i was just a boy really when i started work at 21 so those were really powerful years for me so i spent seven years there and then got married there and had a small a young family and that's when we returned to australia and i was really lucky to join uh, bhp so i had a long career with bhp and such a great company, such a large company. It gave me the opportunity to do different things in different places. So I started up at Kajibut. It was a little underground lead zinc mine up in the Kimberleys, flying in out of Broome, which was yep. pretty cool at the time. I then had the chance to move across to Cannington. So I was a second employee at Cannington. Got there oh, wow. right at the start and saw it from sheep station through to first concentrate, dropping out the uh, off the end of the conveyor. So With that people was... People like Mark Adams. I Mark assume, Adams, yeah, yeah, yeah. A guy who really instilled in me the importance mm. of values and... You know, Mark set up a values-driven organisation, and that place is still one of the you know one yeah. of the better operations in our country, if not the world. Very interesting, because right. Mark actually gave me the start in mining by giving me a scholarship up in Mount, or organising me to get in front of a scholarship at yeah, right. for MIM. So yeah. there you go. Yeah, well, there's inspirational leadership right there, someone yeah, like yeah. Mark Adams. So seven years at Cannington, that was great. Gave me the chance to do a bunch of things right through the sort of startup study phase commissioning operations that, that was really tremendous experience and then i got the chance to go to akadi in canada which was a bit of a shock you know arriving there uh, new year's day minus 35 or whatever it was so, <laughs> and we spent four years there and as i say i was given the opportunity to start and to lead the underground projects so it was a, a project director role which i hadn't done before so an experience in projects and project construction and building a team from scratch and basically setting up an underground mining business, which I, I was pretty young, but I, 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 that was a tremendous time in our life. And it was also 
it was our children's teen years, so they had the chance to grow up in a really exciting sort of ad adventurous environment. So from a family point of view too, it was, it was fantastic. And that's always been important for me is the family angle, the family dimension, you know, with my career, how does that suit the family and trying to make the most of that. I was then lucky enough to come down back to Australia. So 2005, BHP took over WMC and I was dropped into uh, Olympic Dam with Dean Dallavella. So yeah. we were the two of them, Paul Dunn. There's three of us BHP dudes dropped in there to mm -hmm. make friends with and work with our WMC counterparts. And that was that was a great opportunity. It's a fantastic operation that. It's just mm -hmm. so complicated, so large, difficult, difficult place to do business. But as a result, strong people, lots of energy, lots of intellect, lots of uh, innovation. So really enjoyed my time there. And I, I then went back to Akati uh, for a second time and that was a bit of deja vu, landing back in Yellowknife Airstrip but in the middle of winter in the snow thinking, you know, this is all a bit too familiar. But, um, yeah, but, minus uh, 30 again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that, that was an opportunity to run the diamonds business and that's, yeah. that's what attracted me there. And the one thing I'd always loved about that environment was it's a unique place to work because there's very close interactions with the First Nations in the north there. You know, tremendous people with a lot of, a lot of history, amazing tradition, such warm, open people and the chance to interact with them directly and and run a business in a way that provides as much help as it can to those communities to develop and to grow themselves. So that was that was the unique highlight for me of, of that part of my career. And then came back to WA with Nickel West and had three or four years at Nickel West. And that was that was a big turnaround task. But again, a, a former WMC operation, great team of people. Um, and we talked a bit about some of the challenges and sort of successes we had there. And then I had the chance to move across as part of the demerger to South 32. and. Oh, never looked back since that yeah. time. It's been a fantastic opportunity to see and to be part of building a new ASX listed company and to, you know, all the work around just trying to build a reputation and show people that we are highly capable, that we've got great operations, we've got great people, you know, we've had a lot of success and it's been a great journey and it's still going. So uh, uh, I have been lucky to get a lot of variety in my career, um, different countries, different types of businesses, you know, some amazing people. So been a, a wild ride and it's still going and I'm yeah. loving every minute of it. Yeah, yeah. I certainly see that in you. you. You really seem to enjoy what you're doing and but that's always important for anyone and as a message for our listeners is if you're not enjoying what you're doing, you're better off yeah. being somewhere else. I agree. Or doing something else or whatever it might be and yeah. that's probably a message that you haven't really looked at what your hedgehog is and mm. and have a think about that. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. So Paul, perhaps to finish off with, what is your most memorable or funniest site story? I don't know about funniest, but I've certainly had a range of interesting situations with various animals. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully so, it's not an Akati animal again. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, one of them is. We, you know, the, the, the portal for the decline for the undergrounds there, obviously out, it was about two or three k's from the main complex. So I do remember patrolling around in a light vehicle when there's grizzlies in and around yeah. um, you know we're out there trying to make sure they don't see the portal as a nice den to go mm. and park mm. up in for the winter so you know we had a few interactions with grizzlies you know including right at the door at the back of the dongers yeah. you know so you know that really reminds you that there's uh, all sorts of hazards in our industry they're not yeah. just they're not just <laughs> rockfall and vehicles so that's an interesting one. When I was in South Africa, I was in the mines rescue team and I remember it was our first call out. I was on Harmony Gold Mine and we got called out to an underground fire. So it's my first call out. So as the rookie, you have first of all, you have to drag the ice. So this this massive block of ice, which over the course of the, the time underground melts. So you've always yeah. got cold water. So I had to drag the ice around and it's, it's partly because you're a rookie. But I also had to carry the canary. So the gold mines in South Africa are fiery mines. Mm -hmm. So we did have methane. So we always carried a canary with us. And after we'd finished, you know, we're, laying sprinklers and so on. After we finished, um, 
the guys told me to you know, give the canary some water and I'm sure they set this up for all those young guys like me. So I opened the cage door and as you would expect what happens, the canary flies out, it gets yeah. out of the cage and now this thing's in the dark flitting around this tunnel and we're all running around with our, obviously with our cap lamps on, although they're leaving it to me, it's my job yeah, to catch this catch thing. Catch the canary. Yeah, so I, I don't know how I managed to get my hard hat over it and I caught this canary <laughs> and got, got him back in the cage. So, so yeah, that was a funny one. And Cannington, you know, it's on a floodplain, you know, mm. we grouted all the boreholes, but I think we missed a couple of them. And I remember one year we had floods and, you know, there's a foot of water all over the, the plains there across the mine. And sure enough, a big racehorse goanna gets found down on 90 level. It's been sucked down one of the drill holes and the guys down there are complaining, how do we catch this ma massive lizard thing that's going berserk under underground around the jumbo? <laughs> so lots of animal stories, I guess, have oh, been yeah. a, a, a bit of a joke for us along the way. Yeah. Yeah, I think Richard had Richard had a, a rabid dog in the workshop that had to get shot <laughs> up at a carty. Okay, so there's, yep, some, yeah, there's some really interesting stories about yeah, up at Yellowknife. So, well, you know, thanks for joining us today, Paul. That's it's my it's um, and for giving our listeners some insights into the world of a mining and resource industry executive. Mm. Been great to have you here, and thanks very much. Pleasure, thank you. For those listening, if you'd like to speak to Paul, you're more than welcome to connect with him on LinkedIn. And you'll see that information on our podcast series page. So thanks very much, Paul, for your time. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Resourceful, stories from the site. We'll be back in a month with more tips and insight from our other industry leaders. We'd love to connect with you. You can find us on all the usual social channels and our website, resourcesunearthed.com.au. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform so you never miss an episode.